Imagine what you could do if you had hundreds of years of influencer wisdom at your fingertips. So head over to theinfluencervault.com today and sign up to grab your free copy of our brand new top 10 influencer insights guide. You won't regret it. So again, that's at theinfluencervault.com. Go there today to grab the brand new top 10 influencer insights guide. I hope you enjoy it. And I hope you enjoy this episode of Let's Do Influencing. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the episode. It's so exciting to be back uh, with a brand new guest. I love bringing on first-time guests on our show and introducing them to our audience. We do have return guests often, but I love when we have somebody new that we bring to our audience and get to learn more about them. Uh, So I'm really excited today to have Victoria Vivas Huang with us today. And Victoria, where I usually like to start, which is different, I know, than a lot of shows, but I like to get our guests to tell us a little bit about themselves because I feel they know themselves best and just enough to, to kick things off because we'll dive in deeper with questions anyway. But can you tell us just a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Thank you, Corey, for having me. And hi, everybody. Super happy to be here today. So my name is Victoria Vidascuong. I come from Spain, actually, I, even though I live in Los Angeles. So I grew up in an ultra conservative regime. So this was in a dictatorship. So things were very, very different from how they are now. And it was a very chauvinistic environment. And I was with my three mothers, my mom, my aunt, and my grandmother, and attending an only girl's school. So we had like all the disadvantage of being women at that time, but we fought for surviving, for making sure we can move forward. And what I decided is like, I have to tap into my masculinity to succeed, to not be left behind. And that's what I did. But I didn't realize that I was sacrificing one of the most important things in my own self, which was my femininity. Mm. So that's how I got now to work with divine sexuality for women. Wow. And so, I mean, there's so much there that a person could unpack or directions a person could go. I, I mean, I'd like to go first with what you mentioned about you realized you had to tap into your masculinity because I was I struggled from the same uh, sorry I'll correct that I struggled from the opposite issue Uh, I was raised by a single mother but I was actually struggling to tap into my feminine side more so and so I was told different things that I should do like go into a sweat lodge and different things they got me to do and then I went too far they said the other way so then I had to go into drumming circles with males and so so I get that totally but I guess uh, my question I'm really curious when you say that you realized you had to embrace or tap into that how did you do that like what what steps did you take what you know that seems like a be uh it's not like everybody would know what direction to go with that good question oh my goodness yes so um you know like i feel that nowadays i wouldn't take that route because things are more normalized but at that time in that place where being woman a woman was so second class my desire was like i don't want to be the next loser in my lineage the next woman that is going to be suffering all of this all these 
suppression and repression and all of this. So I started going with the bad guys because I was in a ghetto-like neighborhood. So I started going with the bad guys. I saw them so powerful, so strong, respected by everybody. So I started learning from them. Okay, so how they act, you know, if I have these friends, then I'm going to be also like, you know, powerful. <laughs> so I started going with them and learning from them. And I developed, I was very rebel and, and, but still I was very shy in many ways because I grew up like the, as the only black person in my household, in my neighborhood and almost in the whole city. So yeah, my, my mom, aunt and grandmother are half German <laughs> and my dad is from Nigeria, but he wasn't there. So I, I was mostly like trying to not be noticed too much. But with these bad guys, I started, you know, okay, I'm powerful and, you know, I'm going to do everything I want. So I end up actually working in prime time television. So part of, yeah, so part of all of this um, being a little bit different and having now again this masculinity and, and a little bit more like ferociousness, <laughs> a little bit, it cut attention. So people started not noticing me and it helped me. So I was very... Um, ambitious and very wanting to to succeed so I did so and and that was my way to embrace masculinity wow that's so amazing and it, I'm sure even yourself Victoria you never thought when you went in that direction I'm sure you never thought it would lead to you being on tv like it just doesn't it doesn't seem like a normal straight path no, absolutely not. Oh my goodness. I was in this ghetto-like neighborhood. Nobody had any, any desire or ambition of, or of hope that they could go anywhere else. So my family and everybody thought that, you know, I'm just going to be one more in the neighborhood. But yeah, my re being rebellious. And also I always felt almost like if I was protected in some way and guided in some way, because people would give me like messages even though sometimes people was very mean because they were racist. I, when I started looking, you know, more adult, they started telling me, oh, you should be a model, like in the street, which is not common in Spain that people would tell you that. So it's almost like I have messages coming to me and I started following and I didn't know where it would take me, but you know, it's like there was a plan there for me. <laughs> wow, so I'm sure even from the point of you talking about you ended up on TV to where we're at today, you know, with you having a book out and a podcast yourself and working with people. Did you feel when you started in TV, did you know that that's the direction you wanted to go or did that just kind of open up itself at some point? You know, I feel that things spiral up in, in some way because of course I dreamt, you know, seeing the dancers in television. I, I loved music and I loved to sing and dance. I would see the, the television stars and I would be like, oh, so beautiful. But I knew that that wasn't for me. And my family remind me very clearly that's not for you. <laughs> but then, you know, it just, um, it was, it was almost like, like dreams that started becoming true, but many dreams. Like I ended up working with my childhood idols and even coming here to Los Angeles, was because of one of my childhood idols that I would watch in television. And she came here to the US, invited <laughs> to West Hollywood, and I came with her. And that's why I am here today. So my life has been, that's why I wrote my book because everything has been like so magical. 
that I would never imagine this, but at the same time, it has been a little bit like flowing with, with what's happening. <laughs> so I want to, I want to circle back to that in a second, just to see what we can maybe mine from that for somebody else. But I also want to ask you, I'm, I'm curious now, if I go back to that time when you said you had to get a little bit tougher on the streets and, and started hanging around with local gangs and stuff. I'm curious inside, had you changed as well? Or was it an outer thing that you felt I need to build this up so that I'll be taken seriously? Like, I'm curious, did the core of you change at the same time? Or was it two separate things? Well, Corey, you know, actually, I tried to become a bad girl, but I never was a bad girl. <laughs> so it was like, I would put all these clothes like black and, and, you know, like trying to look tough, makeup, something. And then I would look at my face in the mirror and I was like a little girl, you know, like I, I was 17 and I was like, oh, you know, you don't look bad. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying, but I, I cannot get to, to look like that. But over the years, there was such pain inside and such unhealed trauma and that finally it's almost like my light in my eyes i would look at my pictures and i would start seeing like that light is kind of gone and i started seeing something more dark and different in me and that was really scary so i feel that i started losing a little bit of my vibrancy which actually took me to a near-death experience of all things and that took me up to an awakening so it was like a, a deep training in <laughs> in what can happen in life <laughs> and so i wanted to circle back to the magical things that started happening so if you if i were talking to you five years ago and you use the word uh synchronicity or spiritual or uh or magical or a friend of mine calls it mysterious coincidences if you were to use those terms five years ago, maybe let's say maybe 10 years ago, but even five, perhaps I would have been like, eh, I think it's just a coincidence. I'm not that person anymore. And so what I'd love to ask you about, because it sounds like you had, whether we call them magical moments or synchronicities, it sounds like the universe was giving you clues and, and guiding your path. So I'd love to talk about that because I feel like we all have the ability to have those magical moments but if we don't embrace them and we don't believe in them, then we see less of them and less of them. But if we believe in them and we go, wow, thank you, universe, for giving me that, then we start seeing more of them. Just like when you buy a car, you start seeing it around everywhere. Your eyes are more open. And I feel like with synchronicities, I see these, like I'll see stuff happen. I'm going, that's amazing. That's magical. Thank you, universe. And then all of a sudden, the next day I have another one, whereas years ago it would have been like two years and before I'd see one and I still call it a coincidence. So having said all that, can you talk about that as well? Like, did you see these moments when they were happening and did you play a part you feel in making more of them happen for you? Yeah. Oh my goodness. You know, I feel that in the beginning when I was studying with all of the modeling and all of this, and it was just people telling me the third time that somebody told me something is like, wait, you know, like what's happening? <laughs> I was like, there is something going on. So I wasn't aware of synchronicities, but I feel that by listening to it and say, you know, I don't believe in, in what you guys are telling me, but I'm going to act anyway, even though I don't believe in myself or in what you're telling me, I'm going to act anyway, in spite of not believing. I feel that that step took me where I am. So there was in part that, but when I started truly believing in this is 
after my near-death experience because I have an experience in the other side. So then coming back and having an awakening, now I started researching, reading all the books that I could. I, and I started guiding myself by these synchronicities. And you know, it's not the end of the story because we can forget about this sometimes. And I did forget at, in a period of my, of my life. And I always recommend go back to believing and following your synchronicities. Amazing. What I wanted to ask you about now is, is the title. So divine sexuality, that title, that term. I, again, I know some of our listeners will get it. Some will say, what does that even mean? And so I always try to think for, as I'm interviewing somebody, for the person that would ask that question, what does, he, what does she mean by that? Or what does he mean by that? And so I'd love to ask you, what does that mean to you? Like, what is that term that you embrace so dearly? What does that mean, divine sexuality? Yeah, so um, growing up in a, in a very patriarchal religion, very conservative, where women would be sinners if they think of sex other than procreation, I had a little bit of, of problem, you know, and then I'm very fiery, very passionate. <laughs> so it was like that conflict there. And then after my awakening, tapping again in all the spiritual aspect, it was hard for me to, to dive into sexuality. And I, I was married. I came here to the US. I got married, long-term relationship, and, and just feeling that I have a disconnect, that I'm healed at many levels on my deep trauma, but there is something about sexuality that, that still is pending. So that's when I started like really researching, really studying, having mentors, exploring my sexual life and finding a way in which we can elevate sexuality out of the gutter of objectification, shame, guilt, taboo, and elevate it into a place of self-actualization and really true intimacy, like a place where we can grow and, and understand ourselves through sexuality in a way that it is conscious. So that's what, it, what me means divine sexuality is more consciousness when it comes to that. And you mentioned, uh, I, I believe I heard correctly, you mentioned that uh, one of the paths took you down to um, basically discovering like a nudist colony type thing. Is that, did I hear that correct? No. <laughs> no I, I, thought I, I thought I heard you say that. So I was, cause I'm wondering where, where the bridge happened between, as you mentioned, growing up in a place where um, where it was basically totally objectified and and you know you're kind of looked at as a second class person, as you said, to embracing this so fully. Yeah, that's why I thought maybe I heard that. I thought maybe that was like the the moment where it was like everything just kind of you know. No, I wish I um, you know it, the funny thing is that the dictator died, so then in Spain we went from super repressed to totally like everybody crazy, like, ah, you know, again, now sex in television all day and all the craziness. So it was like literally like, you know, startled me because I was a kid. So there was always uh, a tense uh, attention when it comes to sexuality. And yes, I went into sexuality, but there was like two voices in my head. And also my mother and my grandmother represented polar opposites in my life. They're very conservative and they're very liberal. So all of this was with me and I had to find a way to balance it. So with my career in entertainment, things were a little bit more loosened up. But then in my career as a spiritual teacher, 
things came again to a very rigid place. So at that point with my marriage, my husband, a way of bonding is sexuality, feeling good with my body, feeling good with my sexuality, feeling good being a woman, feeling good lovemaking. And I didn't have that. So that's when, when, you know, it was out of desperation, out of need that I need to connect with my partner. Like I can heal all the traumatic experiences of being the only black girl in Spain or anything, all that has happened. But unless I heal my sexuality and my experience as a woman, my marriage is not going to make it. Mm. So that's what, what brought it. And then seeing my students going through the same, you know, like they were healing at many levels but what about their sexuality because this is the taboo right like sexuality and spirituality is like mm. so that was what brought me into it and now with the book itself and i know i'm jumping back in another direction again but i want to go back to the book for a second as far as the title so you know in a matter of seconds where did where did that come from i'm assuming that something maybe is that something to do with the the magical moments you mentioned that happened Yes, Corey, it's exactly that. It's exactly that. It's because in my in my life experience, I have had times, truly sometimes uh, life or death moments, that it has been by changing myself and <coughs> excuse me and tapping into that magical experience, connecting with the universe and speaking to the universe, that I was able to make it. So that's part of what I'm sharing in the book. And in a matter of seconds, we can switch how we are uh, viewing reality and the universe will reflect, reflect back to us and change a situation of life or death into maybe the best experience of your life. And that's one of the things that happened. So now I wanna ask you as well with the book, because a lot of our listeners, uh, in addition to wanting to um, grow themselves and wanting to uh, practice self-development, self-care and all those kind of things, we also have a lot of people that are trying to amplify their message to more people, reach out to more people. So I'm curious if I dive down the pattern of your book for a second, what was the experience like putting a book out? And did you see a difference in terms of your credibility from the book? Like, in other words, did the book take you to another level again, or was it just another part of what you were doing under the umbrella? Yes, I feel that it definitely had an important part and I think it's because a couple of reasons once once of uh, one of the reasons is because you know uh, it brings more credibility so anybody that you tell that you've written a book is like okay you have enough information and wisdom to actually write a book another aspect is that it, it was uh, number one in Amazon so that also kind of says okay you know uh, even better but then part of it is actually the inner process of writing the book so the transformation that one, one goes through as an expert or as a human being of writing the book and distilling the wisdom of our years into this format, right? This book, that has been precious for me to understand myself, understand what I do, communicate with my clients in a different way. So I recommend it to anybody, absolutely. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and I feel it is, is something precious for sure. And now I want to ask you uh, a little bit more about the, um, about some of your experiences, because I was reading something in your bio I wanted to ask you about, but as far as the book, I want to ask you with the book and the podcast, just out of curiosity, do you find that those are good tools for bringing you new clients? Do you find those are great 
tools or what we call it a funnel, I guess, but tools for um, just gaining credibility among people that are already thinking about working with you. And, and why I ask this, Victoria, is I find for some people, all their new clients they work with come from podcasts or what have you. Other people say, well, it's not that I get a lot of new clients. It's just that the clients that are with me tell other people because they're like, I'm dealing with the person that has the podcast or has the book. And again, because we have a lot of people that want to become influencers, I'm just always curious about people's experience. So does the podcast and the book, do they bring you new clients or are they a way to educate your current clients or do they gain credibility among your current clients? I'm just wondering what the experience has been for you. Yes, yeah, so I feel that all of the above. Um, what I noticed the most is that it develops a connection with people at a deeper level. So I don't have the opportunity to share my story with one person at a time. But when they read the book, it's like, okay, I feel I know you now. Like it, it creates that incredible connection. You know, I also have um, a couple of YouTube channels with 6 million views. And it didn't pay off necessarily right away, but it established oneself. And I have students that say, I have been watching your videos for five years. And they never liked the video. They never commented in the video. They never said anything to me. But then five years later, they're with me and they're like, it's because of that video that I saw. So sometimes we, we cannot see the result right away, but I feel that it creates this footprint that we are um, establishing. And you know, if you are passionate about what you do, you want to, to put this information out anyway. So I feel it's very valuable. Well, I, I love what you just said there, because this is something I used to talk about often. And I guess I probably got to get back to talking about it, because when I get into social media, I was like a lot of people. It was like the first time I went networking at a, an event, networking with people. My I was in sales and I just thought, OK, I got to make sales here at the networking event or it's not a success. And I tried to sell everybody. And of course, it turned everybody off. And I'm like, networking doesn't work. And I left it for a year, like two years. And then I came back with a talk, like just as a giver. And I just said, I'm just going to go there and have a good night. I'm just going to hang out with people. And of course, all of a sudden I was flooded with clients and it wasn't intentional. It just happened. And I feel like it's the, the same type of thing. And, you know, so I, I feel like it's one of those things where I went into social media thinking, okay, I'm on Facebook for a week. How come I'm not getting new clients? And yet oh, what yeah. happened in the bigger pictures, I just kept at it more so because I actually enjoyed it and I just kept posting and doing stuff. And then a, a client would hire me and I would say, well, I can send you off this and that. And they say, oh, I don't need to see that. I've been with, I've been with you on your journey with Facebook for like three years. And to your yeah. point, they had, so in other words, instead of me having to sell them five times on why me, they were already sold on why me. They just didn't have a need until then. Once they had the need, they're like, you're my guy. You're my only person. I love because that. They've been following me, but I didn't know that. And so I think it's important that you said, just because somebody doesn't like or post or send you a message to say, listen to the latest episode of the podcast, doesn't mean they're not liking and listening to the episodes. Absolutely. Everybody's like watching in silence. Even my students, even my students tell me, oh, I love your post, but they, they don't say anything, you know, like say something because sometimes it feels like speaking to, to the wall, but it's not like that. People is being nurtured by you. So just think about that for sure. Yeah, I, I really dig that because uh, I will say we, you know, we're from a small town originally, my girlfriend and I, and we travel a lot and now pre-COVID, of course, but we would travel a lot, like more than, I'd say more than 80% of, of people. And so people would be watching their travels and then I would run into them in store and they say, oh my gosh, I saw, I loved it when you and, and your girlfriend, they always say my wife, but you and your wife and your son were at Cocoa Beach. I always wanted to go to Cocoa Beach. And I'm like, you never made a comment. You never made a like, I didn't even know you saw that post. 
So, and, and I'm in a small town. So a lot of people are seeing those posts and never saying it. And then, you know, they'll make one comment years later saying, oh, I love when you said this two years ago. And I'm like, you still remember that? You didn't even like it? I totally get it. So I'm glad you said that because I always worry about those people that are newer to social media or newer to branding and social media. And they're trying to get the quick fix because everybody's telling them, oh, I get to put a post out and I got eight new clients. And then they buy into that and then they quit easily. It's like podcasting. I don't know if you know the numbers, Victoria, but I was at an event recently where they shared that uh, it's something like, I forget the number, but the average podcast, I don't know the percentage, but the average podcast lasts nine weeks. That means the drop-off rate, the average drop-off rate is nine weeks. So, you know, that means for people like yourself or myself, I've had myself, my first podcast is 10 years going now and it's still going. And yet I know that most people quit after nine weeks. Why is that? Because they get sold a bill of goods that if I go into podcasting, I'm going to have a steady flow of clients. And what happens is they do their first episode and it gets 14 listens. And then they say, oh, this sucks. And then they go, I'll just push through for another couple of weeks. Maybe I'll pick it up. And by the end of nine weeks, rightfully so, they only have maybe 200 listeners. And because they're just new and they give up. And so if they only knew that 10 of those 100 listeners or 200 listeners actually said, oh my gosh, this person's changing the game for me. This person's changing my life. If they heard them say that, they would stick with it. But that's why I think they leave it. So I'm glad you said that people are still watching even if they're not making a noise. (laughs) Exactly. We have to have a lot of self-confidence and faith, you know, so we do it because we love it and we believe in it without expecting, okay, I need a return right away, but instead just be patient. Absolutely. So I mentioned there was something from your bio that I wanted to circle back to, and it was the, the Kundalini uh, experience. I, I, this, is, I, this is really weird for me to open up and, and be full disclosure on this because I, yeah, again, I came into this kicking scream in this whole uh, woo, if we want to call it that new age spiritual world. I'm sold now, but I mean, my girlfriend's a Reiki master and a shamanistic healer. My mother did, was taking me for tea leaf readings when I was eight, but wow. I was, I wasn't sold. Like I was a very practical person. And so I, I say this because now I've practiced yoga off and on for 20 years. I've been meditating for years, but Kundalini, I've never researched what it is. And I keep hearing about it all the time. And so my question is, are you able to explain to us what Kundalini is? That's my question. Out of that. Yes. So Kundalini is the energy that is called in the lower area of our body. And when we have an awakening, it uncoils. And this energy is is almost like the curl of the lock of of her, of the the divine, the beloved. So it's like our connection of who we are as finite beings connected with the infinite. Does that make sense? So we have our finite aspect, we have this life, but then there is a connection with the what it is called the beloved, which is like the divine God, however we want to call it, the universe. So we have the individual finite existence, but there is a coil of her, like a curl of her of the beloved within us. And that coil can unlock and start rising to the higher chakras in which case we have like an awakening and suddenly things that we didn't realize about before and things we didn't see, we start seeing. And ideally this happens in a process that is gentle. In my case was a near-death experience. So it was very abrupt and very scary. (laughs) But um, once things normalize, it can be very, very blissful, beautiful and give you a perspective in life 
that is much deeper. So again, the, that, my opinion, begs the question. You said it, it, in an ideal situation, we have it happen gently. Is there a way that we can dive in and experience it without having to have a near-death experience to experience it? Yes, so besides the divine sexuality framework, I work with uh, my group, uh, which is the Earth Angel Collective. So I develop, I, I'm the founder of Earth Angel Collective for people who want to tap into their gifts, they want to become healers, they want to have a soul tribe of people that they can evolve spiritually and consciously speaking so that they are able to go into that awakening in a way that is gentle, that they are supported, that they have a mentor, they have kindred spirits with them. So we go and we work normally for a year, but then they are able to stay longer if they want. So just before we bring things to a close, I want to ask you about how people can learn more about that. But before we close things off fully, I want to ask you as well about, I mean, you've, it's, it's interesting because when I was reading your bio, you've traveled quite a few different paths and, and I've sort of done the same. You know, I always say that, I don't know, I think I made the term up, but I'm a multi-passionate because I've heard the term multi-passionista. I so like multi -passionate. that. And so, but I mean, I'm constantly have different, uh, irons in the fire but they're all linked like I can see how they're all linked and like for example they're all linked through communication everything I do is around communication also everything I do is around trying to create a positive ripple for other people and they're all linked even though like I, I see you're a singer-songwriter well I'm a singer-songwriter and then on one end of that then I also did stand-up comedy but then I'm, I'm I'm a business person and an author and and it's all kind of looks separate but it's all related my question is do you feel a lot of the things you did that might look on, like on the outside in, you're just juggling a lot of eggs are all related. And, and what, one of the ones I noticed right away was like martial arts and action, or, you know, like action actor, or, I mean, action stuntman, I think is, was that what you did? Like, was like being an, almost like a stunt person? Yeah, that's why I have 6 million views on, on YouTube. Uh, so I have five of those million views are all martial arts and one million is uh, healing. So yeah, martial arts, it was a, a big thing, a stunt woman, martial arts, choreography, um, so yeah, and I feel that everything is related and I didn't realize before, Corey, so this is a good thing that you mentioned it because it took me a while to realize that martial arts and, <laughs> and healing arts are like the yin and yang. And in some traditions in, in China, they will teach both how to hurt people through martial arts and then how to heal them through healing arts. Wow, that's so amazing. <laughs> I, I just, it's, it's, I don't know why, but that's the one that popped out at me, because, probably because a lot of the things you did, even though they're they're separate from each other, you can see the link. And mm -hmm. and the martial arts, I get it. Like martial arts is also about discipline. It's about you know when when I think about um, I was my girlfriend and I were watching um, the last Star Wars episode, and I said you know this George Lucas guy when he created these things in the seventies, he was way ahead of his time. Wow. I mean he was talking about the the light force and the dark force energy, like the Jedi's they could move stuff, and uh, the last one he did uh, had Luke meditating. Like I'm like this guy was way ahead of his time, and so I can see where the martial arts and discipline and all connects. But I'm a huge Bruce Lee fan, so I think I I immediately go to the martial arts side. But then on top of that, I think the other ones like Reiki and and speaking and being an author, we can all see how they sort of link. But the martial arts one jumped out at me, especially when I saw that you were like an action actor, like, you know, that you're a stunt person. That's amazing to me. So, but I mean, I guess, you know, as we start to bring things to a close, but what in you do you feel kind of allows you to 
I'm going to say jump to those different places. Cause again, um, martial artist and stunt person for most people, they would say that's in a complete opposite end of the spectrum of a Reiki master or somebody in their healing. You know, and the funny thing is that actually the founder of Reiki, Mikao Sui, he was in both. So he was a martial artist, but he was also the founder of Reiki. So when I discovered that by doing my own research, I was like, okay, so I'm not so wrong after all. <laughs> and once again, in traditions in China, this is more normal. Um, so so it, I feel that as, a, as my personality, I, I'm a Libra, by the way. So I feel that I learn my polar opposites. So I go to extreme, I learn that, and it's like, oh, too much. I go to the other extreme, oh, too much. And then I, oh, okay, now I find balance, the middle path. <laughs> wow, so amazing. So I, I always like to ask one question of our guests. And by the way, I don't know if you can see it up there, but uh, I said Bruce Lee. I don't know if you can see that, but that's a book, The Boy Who Became a Dragon. That's and awesome. Look at you this. I'll just show you. Oh my goodness. Video. Like, I'm like a really big Bruce Lee fan. Like, you know what? Actually, I, I normally perform martial arts, but the only style of martial arts I taught was Bruce Lee's. Oh, really? Wow. Because my husband is a very passionate one. So he has a school. So I, I was teaching. We both were teaching. We have an online program and everything. For, oh, my God. That's so, so cool. Bruce Lee's martial arts, ah. which is Jeet Kundo. Yes. I, yeah, I, I mean, I did, I, I'd be lying to say I practiced it or anything, but I, I, I learned so much about him and watched his documentaries and all that, that I, I know what, like, I know what he teaches and I, or what he taught and I know uh, how it was different than other martial arts and all that stuff. But I, yeah, but I mean, I don't, I've never tried it or practiced it at all. Eventually I should. I even we have, have to, we have to, I even have uh, Bruce Lee tattoos. Like I even have like the under the dragon, wow. like the claws from under the dragon, like, you know, like, just That's like amazing. this. Yeah, wow, so I'm, how I guess, cool. really big Bruce Lee fan. And what's neat about it is my mother uh, and father were Bruce Lee fans when I was like four years old and they didn't know any better. They, they, they the local theater used to keep showing the movies over and over. So they thought he had like 40 movies out and he only oh. had like three and a half, but they thought there was like 40 movies. They just kept going and they loved him so much. Oh. I guess they ignored the fact that they were watching the same movie over and over because it would oh, come God. to town once every two years. So they, it was long enough that they thought they were seeing something new. But what's really interesting is my mother didn't know I was a Bruce Lee fan until she came to visit me in my twenties. And I had these Bruce Lee things on the wall. She goes, Oh my God, I love Bruce Lee, blah, blah, blah. And she didn't even know that I had become a fan through all those years, but it was probably spurred on by the fact that they would take me to see him when I was four and five, even though you probably shouldn't take a kid to see that when he's four or five. Wow. Anyway, how fun. Had, that was a side note. I had to just go on that tangent. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. That's so special. hundred percent. Well, and I mentioned, I have one question. I want to make sure I ask you, I call it the time machine question, Victoria. Uh, the time machine question is simply, if you could jump into a time machine, go back in time and visit a younger Victoria, and you would know when she needs this advice the most, but you could give her one or two pieces of life advice based on what you've learned in the years since. What would you tell young Victoria? <sighs> to trust that everything is going to be okay. That when things come on your face and, and there is this overwhelmment and sometimes it feels like, wow, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I'm going to survive. Just breathe through it and really start setting your energy, your frequency, your connection with the universe in a way that you are calling forth what you want to see happening because that can totally manifest it. So. <laughs> ah, amazing. And I have to say you're in good company because I've asked that question over 5,000 times. It's the subject of my third TEDx talk. 
And what I basically share in the talk is that most people would go back and tell their younger selves, you're on the right path. Don't worry about it. Don't try to change everything. What you're worried about now won't matter in a year, let alone 10 years. And it's, but it's, it's amazing to me. And why I did that video, right, the, the talk in the video, was I want people to start discovering that in their 20s rather than their 40s and 50s. But it seems like every, almost most people have to be later in life, and I'll call 40, not really later, but mid, mid age almost to have discovered that. But imagine if we could discover that in our 20s and stop beating ourselves up over something that really isn't as big a deal as we're making it out to be. If we, if we could go to our older self and see that the older self probably forgets that happened, then we wouldn't probably spend a year stressed and depressed over it. So, right. people oh discover this earlier. so that's why I keep asking the question is I want to see if the answer ever changes, but I will say what you shared is a common theme. You know, like it's wow. a common theme, and that's a good thing. Like it's a common theme that I hear that people say, you know, you're on the right path. You're making the right decisions. You're going to be okay. Yes. That type of thing. Rather, nobody ever goes, almost nobody ever goes back and says, uh, I would tell them to change this and do this differently. Because most people I talk to are happy with where they finally gotten to. And they know if they got in a time machine and talked to the younger self, one change would change everything. Wow. So, so a lot of them will say, I won't, I won't even get in the time machine. I that's wouldn't get so it. So that's why I love asking the question. You get lots of different answers. Um, so I want to ask you how we can learn more. Obviously, uh, most important question maybe of the day, because even though uh, I know we barely scratched the surface and I will call it with your permission to be continued, even though um, I know we did cover some ground, people always want to dive deeper and learn more from the person. But the one question I want to ask you, because I think I heard it there in passing, is you mentioned that you had to, and I'm going back now in the story again, but you had to um, basically embrace your divine sexuality for your relationship to flourish. And then I heard you say, uh, my husband and I run this and run that. So it sounds like it worked. Like are you, you're with your husband that you were with at the time and you said, I have to embrace this. Is that correct? We are 14 years married. We celebrated this month. Awesome. I, I didn't want to assume. So I, I was careful on how I asked that question because I didn't want to assume like- Thank you. Yeah, good point. If somebody's, you know, with a different husband now, I don't want to be the guy that says, you know, right, so, right. so yeah, so that's, that's awesome. I mean, the proof's in the pudding, right? You, you put in the work and, and I, I mean, I, everybody I talk to and we've been together just six years, but that's still longer than most now. Like, I think the average I hear is sadly less than that. But one of the things that most people I talk to, when we experience the same is it's work. It is. It People is. I wish it, it was. Like not, but I wish it was. I wish it was easy. But you know, we are fourteen years together and counting because we put the work in. Yeah. And and it is work. That's the key thing. Is because again, I, I feel like a lot of what happens with society is people are so I call it sold a bill of goods, but they're led to believe oh relationships should be completely easy all the time, every time. And if it's not, you're with the wrong person. So then you get people that are just getting married and then going, ah, wrong person, married, wrong person. And I think that's a detriment. Like, I think people need to know it takes work. And I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's some relationship out there in the world that didn't take work, but I'm going to say it's less than 1%. It's not. Maybe, maybe. And it's so worth it anyway, you know, so put in the, the work and then it's like you creating this incredible existence for yourself. So it's amazing. 100%. So Victoria, last question is, how can we learn more? How you know, I call it the yes. hub, but where would you send people if they want to learn more about your work? Yes. Yeah, so victoriavives.com. So that is V-I-C-T-O-R-I-A-V-I-V-E-S. And it's all with V's as in victory. So victoriavives.com. And then from there, you actually have 
the blue picture for earth angel and the red picture for divine sexuality <laughs> so then you go whatever you need to go oh i i love it so people get there and they can decide what direction they're supposed to follow and for some people maybe it's both directions very true and and i have many people in in that way both directions are important so Victoria, this has been, I knew it would be, but this has been an absolute pleasure. I so appreciate you and honor your time. And thank you so much you. for joining us today. Uh, like I say, with your permission, I'll call it a to be continued because I know there's so much more we could talk about. Uh, but I feel like we at least gave people a really big glimpse of who Victoria is. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much, Corey. It has been a beautiful, beautiful conversation. I appreciate being here. Thank you so much. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.